Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants to remind everyone that Halloween is the safest holiday because you get free candy without having to get into someone's van. It's Dale. <laughs> yep, that's right. You just got to go to the front door and that's for it. Yeah, that's right, bud. <laughs> Never mind the driveway, kid. Come on up here to the front just door. Come in the, just come in the house. Yeah. Ding dong. Yeah. <laughs> what's going on man hey, i'm good how are you oh, i'm pretty good i guess i got a little bucket of candy for you yeah <laughs> just, just leave it on the front porch leave it on the front porch yep yeah just leave an empty bowl and just put a sign that says take one piece yeah damn it yeah. <laughs> go away yeah buy your own yeah i seen one the other day i was thinking i had a um, little vending machine like the things stick the quarter in and spin the ball or whatever is yeah yes at times it's hard buy your own damn candy <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. pretty good. That would be good. Just put a vending machine out there and make some money. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. That would, that would work. <laughs> you just have to give them quarters. <laughs> you got any good shout-outs, bud? Anybody you uh, want to talk about? Yeah, man. We got a few. A uh, few, maybe one or two. Let me see. We got. We would like to uh, give a shout-out to our buddy, Sean Herzman. He gave us a five-star, basically a Facebook recommendation. Said the best true crime podcast ever. Ever? Yeah, ever. Mm. That's what he said, anyway. Okay. So we'll we'll go with that. We'll take it. How about that, though? I like that. Yeah. You tell we got big budget now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and uh, also I'd like to give a shout out to all our YouTube listeners. Man, you guys are awesome. We finally we uh, broke 100,000 views this week and uh, still running good. So I think that was a pretty dang good accomplishment. Yeah. So I'm pretty proud of that, and I really appreciate you guys. We appreciate all our listeners, man. Yeah, no matter how you check it out. Yeah, it's amazing. we do. And everybody that's telling everybody about word of mouth. Mm-hmm. about us uh sharing whatever we yeah are. really probably i would say probably word of mouth is probably the best way actually yeah i think it is yeah because uh you know people gonna believe you if you just tell them if you just smash and share we we appreciate that too but you know word mm-hmm. of mouth is that's like the gospel you know yeah if you got a buddy that listens to podcasts <laughs> say, hey you gotta check this podcast out yeah and if i don't they need to be yeah <laughs> Yeah, we appreciate everybody. That's right. And we remind everybody, to, if you do listen to us on Apple Podcast, click that five-star and leave a rate and review. Write something in the box. In the box. Yep, it's got to be in the box. Yes. And it, that's the way it counts. And yep. we get notified, and we will give you a shout-out. Yeah, even if you're thinking outside the box, write it in the box. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and if anybody wants to go to the store page and buy them something cool, get you something for winter, get you a hoodie. Yep. Get you a coffee mug, put some hot chocolate in it or something. That's right. Yep. It sure helps us out. It keeps the lights on, and we appreciate it a bunch. Man, I drank some coffee the other day. I don't drink coffee, but it was pretty good. Yeah. I don't know what kind it was. Why and it to me. Also, we got a, we have a Patreon now if anybody wants to go over there and help out that way. Yes. We got two episodes on there now. We're trying to keep that going. Yeah, get a little more stuff on there. Yeah, and you can also go to the website and leave some money in the, the gas jar. Yeah, that's all. All very appreciated. Very appreciated. <laughs> Other than that, Dale, we're going to get on with our episode. Well, you better somehow be a bitching. Yep, because this You're week... two minutes are up. <laughs> this week, man, we got a rough one. Yeah. So much for heroes and feel-good feel shows. Yeah, this one is this one's tough, so it's just a warning. This is your only warning. Yeah, we don't use the trigger word much, but you might want, <laughs> you no, might want to back up on this one. <laughs> our only trigger warning is we're a true crime podcast, so you should know what you're getting into. That's right. Yep. But this one is rough. Yeah, no triggers in this one, just knives. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right, dude, in this episode, we are talking about Danny Rowling. Danny Rowling. Danny Rowling. And just a little bit of background on 
Danny Rowling. He was born on May the 26th of 1954 in Shreveport, Louisiana, to parents James Rowling and his mother Claudia Rowling. And just like other cases we've had, it wasn't a wasn't a good childhood, dude. No, no, right from the get go, it wasn't a good childhood. No, his dad didn't even want kids. No. But his mom was only 19 years old when she got pregnant with him. Right. And it was a pretty rough pregnancy. And even when he was born, I think they had, uh, it was reported they had to use some forceps to, to deliver him. Yeah, had was, to pop him out. Yeah, his dad was pretty rough. He, yeah. was, a, he was a local police officer, a former, uh, uh, I think he was an Army vet. Yeah, in Korea. In Korea, yeah. And, I think a decorated Army veteran in Korea. Yeah. But, uh, but his home life was no nothing to be honorable, that's for damn sure. No. Mm-mm. I mean, he beat his wife, beat his kids, beat his dogs. If he was there and he was in the house, he was getting beat or berated. But, yeah, the first incident of physical abuse toward Danny was when he was uh, just a one year old. He started crawling, and his dad, James, didn't like the way he was crawling. Yeah. So he beat him. Yeah, because that makes sense. Yeah, he was uh, one to, I think, just sit there and kind of scoot across the floor. Yeah, he was just starting. Yeah, but he didn't like it. Nope. So it's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, it was so bad that even, I think, when he was born, his his dad even went over to his mom and said, we're not taking that thing home. Yeah. He didn't want no kids. Yeah. But apparently he didn't know what was causing them. Evidently not. But get this, when Danny was one year old, Claudia gave birth to um, a second son right his name was kevin kevin yeah like i said he must didn't know what was causing it no but uh james's dad seemed to be more violent towards danny mm-hmm. than uh kevin but because of all this when danny was four claudia left james because of the abuse and she stayed gone for about six months yeah but she always come back home didn't she? yeah he would uh claim to, to change his ways and she went back right but there were several things that took place around this time. Danny's father tied him up about six times in a six-month period. And there was another situation. Danny uh, tried stealing a candy bar and was caught by his parents. Yeah, I mean, you know, this, they made him go back to the store and apologize to the owner, which is, you know, what you should do. Exactly. So, so here he's looking like Mr. Honorable, but I'm sure when he got back home, it wasn't good. He got his he got his ass whipped, probably. Yeah, this yeah. is when he was just five years old. So. Yeah. Yeah. And also when Danny was five years old, this was in December of 1959, his dad came home with a puppy that he found, I guess, while he was on his police shift. Right. And Danny got pretty attached to this dog right away. Right. Yeah, we had a friend he could talk to, and it wouldn't smack him. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just come around and, you know, just your little buddy. But his dad constantly beat the dog. Yeah. And according to Danny and some neighbors, James's dad later killed the dog by repeated torture. Yeah, well, he beat it so bad that it actually died in little Danny's arms. That's, man, that's sad. That's when I first awful. heard that, that killed me, man. Yeah. Yeah, we, we <laughs> as much bad stuff as we talk about, just this, the animal stuff is pretty rough sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But it was reported that uh, James refused to show any emotion toward his kids. He wouldn't hug them or anything he said that was sissy stuff yeah well he didn't even believe in love he told his wife well love ain't real love is just somebody wanting something from somebody yeah so hmm. i was like well i guess you know why you got kids because you acting like you love her yep that's all you want now when danny was eight years old this was in 1962 claudia left james again because of all of his violent behavior 
but they eventually got back together and moved to Shreveport. And Claudia admitted later on that Danny was suffering physical abuse at least once or twice a week at the hands of James, his father. They're not allowed to have any birthdays or any holidays or nothing like that. Man, that's just... Ain't no wonder this uh, Danny Rowling is messed up. I know it, man. Yeah. Oh, because it's a damn daddy. Yep. And because of all the violence, Claudia left James again with the boys. And she even packed up the Christmas tree. This was on uh, Christmas Day of 1963. Right. She packed up the Christmas tree and left. But she didn't stay gone as long as other times. Right. The Christmas, the next year, she left again. Yeah. So, so it's just continually. Yeah. So this is telling you what they're going through. Yeah. It's continually on and off, on and off. Yeah. Well, basically him just beating the hell out of them and then saying, sorry, I'll change, probably. Yep. Now, in 1963, when Danny was nine years old, his mom, Claudia, suffered a nervous breakdown. And Danny had even failed the third grade. Okay, He, he had missed a bunch of days, and uh, his teacher had actually told her that it would be best if he just repeated the third grade. Yeah. And I think that's why Claudia suffered a nervous breakdown, because she didn't want to tell her daddy. Yeah. Tell his daddy. Because so. he knew what was, going, what was coming down. Yeah. So yeah. he knew, she knew it was just going to be that much worse. Yeah. And it was recommended that Danny receive some kind of counseling, but mm-hmm. he never did. And mm-hmm. Claudia again left with the boys. Yeah, because he was suffering from like inferiority complex mm-hmm. and, and uh, with some uh, aggressive tendencies. Yeah. Now, when Danny was ten years old, he was uh, his dad was trying to teach his, him and his brother how to drive, and his dad slapped him in the face and berated him for not knowing how to use a clutch at ten <laughs> years old. At ten. How many people today even know how to use a clutch? I know. Except for us old folks. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when he, Danny was 10, he failed to third grade again. And during this time, Claudia left James again. And Danny begged his mother not to go back home to his dad. Oh, wow. Yeah. But she went back again. Now, when he was 11 years old, this was in 1965, Danny had walked in on his parents having an argument. And this is when his mother had slit her wrist with a razor and then yeah. locked herself in the bathroom. Yeah. Well, I think she locked herself in there and then that was figured that was probably her only way out. Yeah. You know, and then I'm sure he just ended up knocking the damn door down. Yeah, I and mean, he continued to argue with her while she was laying there bleeding. Yeah. And Danny watched his mom lay there on the floor bleeding. Yep. But his mom, Claudia, was committed to a hospital, and Danny tried to stop his father from beating his mother and in return was beaten for, inter- for getting in the way. Yep. He just can't win. Mm-mm. Yeah, about this time, Danny began, he started playing guitar, too, you know. Yeah. And he would sing his prayers and stuff. But he also started to fantasize about sadistic violence, and his fantasies became more sexually violent. But yeah. He did uh, begin to have some serious alcohol problems, too. And this is 11. 11 years old. So I guess, what, he stole it from his friends or got it from friends or stole it or what? I would imagine, yeah. So 11 is pretty damn young to be drinking. Yeah. I guess it's the only way to escape, man. Yeah, I guess. Now, when Danny was 12, uh, his dad beat him for not getting a haircut for school. And he beat Danny with a belt buckle and then shaved his head. And it was reported that the kids teased him and picked on him and called him names like Sasquatch or Bigfoot. So, yeah, he, Poor kid, man. Yeah, him and his brother, man, and, and even Claudia, man, they had it rough. Yeah, they sure did. Now, in September of 1966, Danny's father found him drinking with a friend and he dragged Danny home by the neck and was thrown in jail for two weeks. 
Danny refused to talk to his mother. And this is when he grabbed his knapsack and he ran away from home. And Danny spent his first night in the nearby woods. And this is when um, he started masturbating to fantasies he had. Hmm. Uh, these fantasies were of killing people and controlling them, Dale. And he's 12. 12 years old. And he returned home when he, I guess, he got hungry and he couldn't find anything to eat. All right. So he didn't have nowhere else to go. And it was even reported, Dale, that when uh, him and his brother Kevin were young teenagers, their dad, James, handcuffed them together on the floor after not cutting their grass the way that their dad liked it. And uh, their dad even knelt on top of them and would just stop them from breathing, you know. Crazy. Yeah, torture them. Hmm crazy man he he didn't have a chance no all right now when danny was 14 i think this is when things started to change a little bit for him this was the first time that danny had saw a girl naked for the first time and this is when he began peeking through a neighbor's bathroom window and he was caught twice by the neighbors and guess what danny's father beat the crap out of him yep and Danny was beaten by his father and attempted suicide, but failed. Mm-hmm. But Danny was having dreams of people beating him and torturing him with demons going through him. And Danny was thrown out of the house by his father after a fight over whether he could wear jeans to church. But Danny's mom would sneak him in the house late at night so he could get back in, I guess, to sleep or do what he need, needed to do. I guess. Yeah. Now, when Danny was 15, he got a guitar for Christmas. Which I don't know. I didn't, they didn't celebrate anything. I don't know how he got a guitar for Christmas. No. But it was reported he got a guitar for Christmas when he was 15. And he taught himself how to play. And he would write his own songs. When he was 15, Danny got a job at a local Dairy Queen. And he had to quit after a week because his father made him. Because his, his grades had started to drop off. In a week. Yeah. I don't think that job had nothing to do with them grades. No. He was just, much of a school, school yeah. guy. Now, when Danny was 17, this was on March the 1st of 1971, he threatened his father that if he did not sign him up for the Navy, he would run away from home for good. Yeah. He had already dropped out by, you know, dropped out of high school. Yeah. But he did uh, get his GED, but he was ready to, to go uh, get into service. But Danny failed the <clears throat> Navy enlistment test. Yeah. So then he was joined Air Force. Yeah. And this was in Lackland Air Force Base in Texas. And there he worked security police and strategic air command at Homestead Air Force Base in Florida. And he became an airman first class. But he got to take an acid. Yeah. And other drugs. And he even tripped on acid over 100 times it was reported. Yeah. He was really liking that. Yeah. And Danny was locked up for drug possession charge and for disobeying orders and lost a stripe. Mm -hmm. And he was even diagnosed by a psychiatrist as having a personality disorder but he was forced to leave under an honorable discharge right and after discharge he returned to shreveport to live with his grandfather and this is when um there was some things that changed he had actually found religion at a local pentecostal church right i think he was walking he was walking one night in uh like hitching a ride yeah and uh one of the pastors picked him up and asked him where he was going and he told him he's, he just needed a ride and as they drive they went by his church and he pulled in and asked him if he wanted to go in and pray with him yeah and he did because he said he didn't have nothing else to do so he went in and done that and prayed for a while and he went back the next day and got baptized 
Yeah. Yeah, he thought he really, this was going to, times are going to change, and this is really what I need. Yeah, and he was really active in the church for quite a while. Mm-hmm. He started driving a bus for the church, and yes. he would um, pick up, I guess, people coming to church and bring them to church. And, yeah, kids and other people who did, who couldn't get a ride. Yeah, just bring them back and forth. Right. And uh, I think we'd heard that he even dressed up as, as the Easter Bunny one year. Yeah, sure did. Yeah. So he was pretty active in the church, and this seemed to really help him. Yeah. Well, hell, what? I mean, ain't a whole lot that could hurt him at this point. Yeah, I mean, this, this is he's true. He's a damn rough life. Yeah. But while he was in church, he was praying to God that God would bring him a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was needing, I guess, needing that partnership in his life. And companionship, yeah. Yeah. And this is when he met a woman named Amatha Ann Halko. Her name was Amatha, O-M-A-T-H-A. I've never heard that name before. No. They had met, and they seemed to hit it off pretty quick. Yeah, sure did. Yeah. He was pretty smitten with her. And it wasn't long, you know, they got engaged, and they got married. Yeah, the next year. Yeah. And they had a daughter by the name of Kylie Daniel. It was born in 1975. And this is when Danny began to feel the pressure of working two jobs to support his family. Yeah. And he began drinking and smoking marijuana again. And he left the church and acted so irrational that Omotha became afraid of him. And Danny would run off for hours or days without telling anybody where he'd went. Yeah, and even would threaten her life, she asked. Yeah. Yeah, so here, some stuff's coming back to haunt him now. Yeah, because the next year in 1976, Danny was caught peeking into windows. Again. And, yep, and he was returned home by a police officer. Yep. Yeah, to his wife. That's yeah. not good. <laughs> yeah, they didn't arrest him because his father was on the force. Right. But they just returned him home and told his wife what he was doing. And this wasn't this wasn't a good thing. You no, know? no, he got home and he, and he started claiming he saw stuff like UFOs and demons and ghosts and stuff. And his wife called his parents when he uh, when he stopped going to work and his dad came over and put a knife to his throat. James wasn't putting up with that stuff, man. He putting up with that mess. And, this, and uh, he was 22 years old at this time. Yeah, just 22. Yeah. And when he was 23, Danny put a gun to his wife's head and threatened to kill her. Yeah. And the next boyfriend when he caught them having an affair. Right. And he beat up the ex-boyfriend and Amatha after she threatened to leave him and then turned the gun on himself. And yeah, he's playing the old sympathy card here. Yeah. Well, if you leave me, I'm just going to shoot myself. Yeah. Right. But Amatha filed for separation, and this was pretty devastating to Danny. Mm-hmm. But they were divorced six months later. And it was after the divorce, Danny was in a bad car accident which resulted in a woman's death. And he was pretty tormented by this. He was driving a delivery van. I think he was driving a delivery truck. Yeah, truck or van or something. And he come running to a thing, and the traffic was stopped. He didn't realize he hit the back of a van, and a woman was ejected from the van. And it, and it, it killed her. Killed her on impact. Yeah. yeah and she fell, fell out of the van. Right. And wasn't nothing he could do. It was an accident, but he was always tormented by this. They never charged him for anything. Right. Now, on May the 25th, 1979, Danny robbed a Winn-Dixie supermarket in Montgomery, Alabama, mm-hmm. and he got away with $800. Right. And then just a few days later, on May the 31st of 1979, he robbed another Winn-Dixie in Columbus, Georgia. It was a half hour later he was arrested by three officers and confessed to armed robberies in Alabama and Georgia and Louisiana. Hell, three. Yeah. 
and Danny was sentenced to two concurrent six-year terms for armed robberies. The first time his mother saw him in prison, she described him as thin and distressed. And by her visit, he had put on weight and was bodybuilding, and he seemed to have learned to cope with prison life. Yeah, by her second visit. Yeah. Yeah. Now, later that year in October of 1979, he escaped from a road gang while they were chopping down trees, and he surrendered about 100 yards from the prison's boundaries after uh, a guard fired a warning shot at him. So he didn't really escape. He was just running for a little bit. Yeah. The next year, May of next year, he was sent to Reedsville Prison for about six months, and there he was almost raped while he was in prison. And he also tried to kill a cat that hung around the prison by throwing rocks at it. He should have got raped. Yeah, he should have. (laughs) He was killing the cat. Now, when Danny was 26, he got caught trying to escape the Montgomery County Jail. And this was when he was sent to the hole for several weeks, and he even spent Thanksgiving in the hole for fighting. And by the hole, you mean solitary. Yeah, solitary confinement. They call it the hole, yeah. Yeah. Now, on June the 7th of 1984, Danny was released from the Alabama prison, and he returned to Shreveport to see his mother and father. And he stayed there for a short time until him and his father James got into another fight. And he stayed with his aunt Agnes until eventually turning back to his parents. And in November of 1984, Danny broke into a young girl's home after watching her for several hours. I guess he was peeping into windows again. Yeah. And his intent was to rape her, but she started crying and felt bad, and he decided not to rape her. Yeah, he felt bad. Yeah, instead, he they talked and had a cup of coffee and sang songs with each other and then engaged in consensual sex. But he was getting into all kinds of trouble. He even robbed a Kroger supermarket and... Uh, there was one point Danny stole the keys to the family car and took off in it, and police arrested him. And he was robbing more supermarkets, and he actually was sentenced to four years in Jackson County Jail. And he escaped jail by simply walking off and swimming the Snake River that ran through Jackson, Mississippi. Hmm. Now, that, yeah, that was in 86 and then coming up on 88. Yeah, so a couple years later, on July the 19th of 88, Danny was paroled from the Mississippi Penitentiary under the conditions that he would return to Shreveport, and he didn't have much success finding a job at all. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. But now, Danny did get a job working in a restaurant, yeah. but he was fired from it because his boss claimed that he missed three consecutive days of work. Right. Now, this was a year later. Yeah. Yeah. But Danny claimed that the boss had changed his hours, and he didn't know about it. Right. He got really pissed off. He even uh, threatened to kill some co-workers there. Yeah, he was going to kill the manager and the cook. Yeah. He but, was in a rage. But no charges were ever filed for the threats. No. But this is uh, definitely the, the little spot in the road that things are fixing to pick up. Yep. Big time. Now we're moving up to November the 6th of 1989. And this is when there were three lives taken. And they were their names were William... Julie and Sean Grissom. Right. Now, William, who went by Tom Grissom, he was a 55-year-old man. He was divorced, and he was a AT&T supervisor who lived on Beth Lane in Shreveport, Southern Hills neighborhood. And everybody described him as being a polite guy, friendly, respectable, but he'd also been battling throat cancer for years, but it had been reported that he was doing better with that and also nearing retirement. Hmm. Uh, his, he had a daughter who was 24 years old. Her name was Julie, and she was a young, petite brunette, and she'd been studying marketing at Louisiana State University in Shreveport. But she had transferred to Shreveport earlier in 1989 after 
attending Baton Rouge campus and was working part-time at a Dillard's in South Park Mall. And she was very close to graduating, Dale. Yep. Now, another person at that house, his name was Sean Grissom, and he was a third grader at Turner Elementary, and he was just visiting there with his grandfather and his Aunt Julie for the weekend as part of a recent birthday. Mm. It's like a, I I don't know what kind of deal they had, but he was just there. Right. But he was... he was supposed to return home on Monday, November the 6th of 1989. Now, at around 8.30 that morning, Sean's mother called the police after making multiple unanswered calls to her father-in-law's house and learning from Sean's school that he wasn't in class. Right. Yeah, they had called her from school to let her know that he was not in class. Yeah. Now, the police had reached out to neighbors asking them to see if they could see anything there at the the house was unlocked or anything, and approximately 8.45 a.m., three neighbors went over to the house to check on the family and open the door to the utility room off the garage. And this is when they discovered Tom Grissom. Right. And the whole the little background of this whole thing, he being, uh, Danny had been stalking this girl for a while. And uh, he knew where she lived, he knew where she worked. He'd been stalking her around South Park Mall. So I think this is when he made up his mind he was going to go to her house. Mm-hmm. And when he got there, he didn't realize all these people were there. Yeah. Yeah. Because when he had got there, Tom had been out on the back backyard, I guess. It had been reported that he was grilling some steaks. Mm-hmm. And Sean, the little eight-year-old, he was in the den or living room there watching TV. Correct. So he stabbed Tom in the back. Several times. Back and chest several times. Yeah. And Sean was found face down, like we said, in the family room with one knife to the back, and it even went through his chest. Yeah, this was a, he's using a military-style K-bar knife. It's pretty big, like a hunting, kind of a Rambo-style knife. Yeah. So one pretty long blade, one shot through the back, went all the way through. Yep. Mm. Now, Julie's body was found naked and partially hanging off a bed, yep. and she was stabbed at least three times in the back and was left facing up. And her body had been wiped down with vinegar. Right, like you tried to wash it or something. Yeah, yeah. But that evening, she was planning to go out to a high school friend's wedding and was even picked out a dress to wear. So she had plans that night, but she didn't show up. Right. Yeah, and when they found her, she was like partially, like you said, hanging off the bed, but also legs spread and kind of posed. Yeah. So she was naked, but, you know, she was just kind of make it a little worse yeah now the detectives they believe that these three were killed around 6 to 8 p.m the saturday before their bodies were found and there were no signs of forced entry no ransacking or no robbery and there was some kind of indication of a struggle but the overall scene was noted as being neat right but that monday everybody all the neighbors watched from beyond the tape perimeter the shock and belief as first responders moved the bodies from the home I can't even imagine, dude. Oh, no. I can't imagine. You'd be freaking out. Now, the house was put under 24-hour watch to prevent evidence from being tampered with, and red tape was placed over the doors, windows to reveal any disturbances. Right. But they had no clue who had done this. No, pretty shocked. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, this is like 6.30 in the evening. You know, mm-hmm. roughly at 8 before she had time to go to that wedding. So it wasn't like it was in the middle of the night or anything. I know. Now, on uh, Christmas Eve, this was 
December 24th of 1989, Danny and his dad, James, were fighting again. Yep. And Danny left to wander the streets. And he came upon a house where he had watched a woman undress before. Yep. And he broke in, but she wasn't at home. Right. Yeah, so he sat around and waited for her for a while and watched TV and listened to the stereo and went over and started sampling some stuff from her, her bar, which was a pretty vast collection. Yeah. And uh, so he's... Stole about thirty dollars worth of dimes, a fifth of liquor, and a thirty-eight caliber pistol, and just left. Got yeah, tired. he got tired of waiting. Yeah, but nobody got killed that night. Right. Yeah. Luckily, she wasn't home. So, yeah, good for her. Mm-hmm. Now, on May the eighteenth of nineteen ninety, Danny and his dad got into another fight. Right. And this is when um, he decided enough was enough. Yeah. Uh, James had pulled a gun on Danny. Allegedly. This is yeah. Supposedly he did. And it even reported that he actually shot toward Danny. Yes. But missed him. Shot a little wide, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. This is when Danny left the house and came back a little bit later with that thirty eight revolver. Right. And he came back and his He wasn't playing. No, uh, his shots didn't miss. No. He shot his dad once in the chest and once in the forehead. Yep. And, and then he took off running. Yeah, he he left. But Danny's dad, James, was taken to the hospital and he did survive. Yes. I think he lost uh, uh, hearing in one ear and one eye. Yeah, I think he lost an eye. I think he lost a sight and an ear. But Danny was on the run. Right. That's when he broke into the home of Michael Kennedy and stole some handguns and then some uh, ID papers from deceased Michael Kennedy Jr. And he actually attempted to change his identity to Michael Kennedy. Yeah. And I think he had called the hospital and then realized that his dad didn't die, which he was glad, but... At the time. Yeah. Yeah, so he knew, but he's still on the run. Mm-hmm. But Danny was all over the place, man. He was robbing places, mm-hmm. no telling how many women he had molested and raped during this time. Yeah, he was even robbed the Westwood United Superstore and then took the money and then told him, you know, please pray for me. Yeah. God knows I need it. Yeah. Crazy, man. Yeah. So he just, his head's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And... On July the 22nd of 1990, Danny took a bus to Sarasota, Florida. And this is where he began to transition into Michael Kennedy Jr. Right. This is when he broke into the home of Janet Frake. Now, a little bit of background on Janet Frake. She was living in Sarasota, Florida, and she was between jobs. And she was living in a two-bedroom house with two cats. And she was returning home from a run to a video store. And she had picked up a six-pack of Keystone Gold beer. Mm-hmm. And she'd been roughly home for about two hours when Danny Rowling had slipped in through a bedroom window and attacked her in the bathroom with a hunting knife. This was his K-bar knife that we mentioned. Yes. And he was wearing leather gloves and a black ski mask. And Danny bound and gagged her with duct tape. And really, at first, she didn't think it was real. She thought somebody was trying to play a joke on her. Mm-hmm. But there was so much rage and anger in her that this is when she got scared. Yeah, she realized right quick it wasn't no joke. But she tried to stay as calm as she could. And one good thing about Janet, she was a crime junkie, dude. Yep. She was loved the murder mysteries and true crime fiction, and she was into that stuff. Yep. And if she had learned anything, she learned to be calm. Yeah. She's like, surely some of this could help me out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And when Danny was, I guess, done raping her for the first time, she... Well, he said, we're going to do this all night long. That's what he told her. Yeah. And she's just trying to keep a cool head. And she goes, well, you know, we could take a break. I got some cold beer in the refrigerator if you like to. If you like one, I'll get you one. Yeah. And she brought him one in a glass, probably hoping to get some fingerprints. Yeah. And said, as soon as she talked to him like that, she could tell that the, the level of rage kind of come down a couple notches. Yeah. 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 And then she said that she did actually did bring it in a glass, hoping she could get fingerprints because she was always thinking ahead, mm-hmm. which is really smart. And he even allowed her to go take a shower. Yeah, by herself. Yeah. But what she did, she got a towel and, I guess, wiped herself down and hid the towel. Yeah, a clean towel. And hid it so he didn't see it. Before she took her shower. And, you know, in that way, she would have uh, DNA. Mm-hmm. She kind of hid it behind the toilet, I think. Yeah. That was very smart. Yeah, for sure. So, but anyway, they got to talking and hanging out a little bit, and she got everything good. And I guess he'd done what he wanted to do, and then... To even ask if it was okay if he took off his mask. Yeah, his ski mask. Yeah, and she goes, no, 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 you keep it on. I don't want to see your face because yeah. she's thinking, you know, as soon as that happens, you're going to kill me. So she didn't say that, but that's what she's thinking. And they actually got along, well, to him, they got along good, but oh, she yeah. was she was just trying to save her life. Yeah, he thought he was in charge. It was basically her steering this whole deal. So, yeah. Yeah, she was really smart, you know, and told him a bunch of stuff. And then finally he's like, well, look, it's like one thirty in the morning, you know, it's probably about time for you to go. And he's like, yeah, you know what? You'll be right. Yeah. So with just a, uh, you know, if this was a different time, I think we could, uh, we could probably date and, and get along. We get along really good. And so, uh, would you at least give me ten minutes before you call the cops? Man. And she goes, well, sure. So then he just rolled out into the night and was gone. Yeah. Whew. But she did report it, but nothing had come of this because they didn't have any DNA on this guy. Right. Yeah. So nothing would come of this till later later down the road right but her being so smart and on her toes and staying calm saved her life yep now danny was in florida and he moved over to gainesville florida this is the home of university of florida gators and this is a college town and this was in 1990 dale mm-hmm. now when danny got into gainesville florida this was on august the 24th of 1990 he broke into the house of two college freshmen right with an automatic pistol and his K-bar knife. He had already been uh, checking these girls out, too. Yep. So he already knew where he, where he was headed. Yep. These two college freshmen were Sonia Larson and Christina Powell. Yes. So he broke into the house of these two college girls. And he, when he went in, he used a, a screwdriver to break in the door. And then he went in walking around. And he, he found Christina sleeping on the couch. So he went and stood over for her for a minute. But she was sleeping. So he just went ahead and hit it upstairs. Yeah. That's where he found Sonia Larson, and she was 17, sleeping in her bed. And that's when he put his hand over her mouth and then duct taped it and then stabbed her to death. Yeah. So then he went back downstairs, and uh, she was still sleeping. So then he uh, taped her mouth and bound her hands. And he raped her before killing her. Right. Yeah, he moved, removed her clothes, fondled her. He, he forced her to, to uh, perform oral sex on him. Then he raped her. Then he stabbed her five times, killing her. Yeah. Then he returned back to Sonia's body. Then he raped her. Yeah, her dead body. Yeah. Yeah. Then he fled away on the apartment, you know, throwing all his evidence in a dumpster while riding away on his stolen bicycle. So he, he started to feel bad, and he found uh, one of the girl's nipples in his bag. What yeah. the heck? So he had cut off Christina's nipples. Wow. And took her with him. Yep. What's crazy is, dude. The, the very next night, mm-hmm. he broke into the home of 18-year-old Krista Hoyt, who attended a nearby Santa Fe Community College. Right. 
and he waited for her to return home and then raped and stabbed her, rupturing her aorta. He cut off her nipples and decapitated her. Yeah, this one was pretty damn bad. Yeah. Um, when they first got, come to this crime scene, they went to go check in on this, uh, this house, and they could see that they had uh, some blinds. They looked in the blinds, and they could see the body in there, so they broke in and went to go look. Well, when they come into the bedroom, her body was posed like it's sitting on the bed, right? Mm-hmm. And it's sitting there, but it has no head. He, yeah. had, he had cut her head off and then pulled a bookshelf over across the apartment. From another room. And set the head on the shelves of the bookshelf t- to look at the body. Yeah. And he also had really uh, mutilated her breasts, basically cut them off and had them in a bag. And there were bite marks on her, too. And had her nipples laying on the bed beside of her. And like, <sighs> like he was going to take the breast or something, but he didn't. They were still there in the back. Mm-hmm. So he is just escalated by miles yeah it takes a lot to man yeah somebody's head and then i mean what is he doing this is like does he think he's creating art or something in his head i mean is this like craft time i mean he he, that's his thing is posing these girls and he done it almost on every one that he killed and even the last two and then one of them he actually and he always would leave them with their legs open with no underwear so it was even making you know like he's just trying to make it that much worse on these girls and then even ones they would like put towels underneath their hips to, to push their pelvic up in the air even more. Yeah. So he's just I don't know. He's just trying to more what do you call it? Uh, desecrate. Yeah. Just uh, humiliate them. Yeah, humiliate them even more. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. But so yeah, he's a pretty sadistic fucker. Yeah, man, no doubt about it. But now getting back to Christina Powell, the they were unable to reach her. Their family wasn't able to reach her for several days, and parents. They traveled from their home in Jacksonville, Florida, and discovered her and Larson's body on the afternoon of August the 26th. Right. And this was in the early morning hours of the 27th. Police discovered Krista Hoyt's body after she missed her midnight shift. She was a clerk at the Alchua County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, she worked for the Sheriff's Department. Yeah. So, yeah, that's when they discovered her. Yeah, because she didn't show up for work, and they knew that that was just not her. She was always there and always on time. So that's Danny Rowling. He was on a tear. Yeah. And that night, as the news of all these murders ripped through the University of Florida, mm-hmm. uh, Danny struck again, breaking into the department of Tracy Paulus and Manuel Taboda. Right. Both were 23 years old, and Danny stabbed Manuel Taboda as he slept. Right. Manny, as they called him. Yeah, he, he was a former football player and pretty stout guy. Yeah, big dude. But I think he, he surprised him. And he woke up and started to fight back after being stabbed 31 times. Yeah, he actually came in, and when he seen it was a big guy, he wasn't, he wasn't expecting that. And he, he plunged that knife into his abdomen. It went all the way through and out his back. And that's when he woke up and started fighting. And yet, like you said, he ended up having to stab him 31 times to take him out. And later he would say that, man, he almost got the best of him. Yeah. Yeah, even though he'd been stabbed while he was asleep. I think if he hadn't been asleep, he might have got him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But Tracy Paulus walked in on this attack. And this when she ran into the bathroom and locked the door. And Danny broke the door down. Yeah. He raped her for hours before killing her with three stab wounds to the back. Mm. Their bodies were discovered the following day. And according to the Orlando Sentinel, this is a newspaper, Tracy Paulus's last words were, you are the one, aren't you? Damn. Yeah, because she knew that was the one that was... Doing all this. Yeah, it was in the news. Now, another thing that went on during this time, 
the news was spreading throughout Gainesville. You know, there was a, a serial killer on the loose. Yeah. And parents were taking their kids out of college, right, moving yes. them away. They were people uh, living together, three and four people living together, keeping watch. I mean, it was it was scary. Yeah, it was crazy. He yeah. was even taking, like, the lobbies into the college dorm rooms and stuff and making the commons, like, where people who were living alone could come and sleep there if they wanted to, up to, like, 20 people living in. And, you know, just sleeping all together there just because they were all scared. Yep. Now, the police, they actually focused on a guy named Edward Humphrey. He was a 19-year-old, and he was diagnosed with manic depression who had some ties to the crimes and recently been arrested for assaulting his grandmother, Mm -hmm. who insisted that he didn't hit her. Right. Well, I think his mother was the one who called the law on him. Yeah. Yeah. And he was their number one suspect. Yeah, and they said his bail at a million dollars. Yeah. For him and his grandma. Yeah. That she said he didn't do. That's how confident they were that he was this uh, serial killer going on. Either that or they were just trying to get the word out and calm everybody down. Yeah, could be. Now, on August the 28th of 1990, Danny had robbed a bank. And I think the bank had actually put a dye pack in there yep. that turned all the money pink or red or something. But Danny was living in the woods there in Gainesville. He had a little campsite with a guy named Tony Danzy, not Tony Danza. No. Yep. (laughs) Who's the boss? Yep. And Danny was actually caught running from the police, and they discovered his campsite. Right. Somebody had called in and said they saw a guy that looked like the man they were looking for, Mm -hmm. and he was out here talking to somebody. When they pulled up, him and Tony was talking, and he took off running. Yeah. So that's when they chased him through. He got away, but he ran him right to his campsite. Yeah. Right. This one, they found all that money with the pink dye and a lot of stuff from these uh, murders. Right. Yeah. So this is when they connected Danny Rowling to these murders that were going on there in Gainesville, Florida. Yeah. And I don't know if they connected him right away, but they had to go through some of that stuff. But they knew that the cash was covered in the pink dye, so they knew they had to rob her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But all this going on, Danny Rowling had continued to his old ways of armed robbery. And on September the 7th of 1990, Danny walked into a Winn-Dixie supermarket uh, brandishing a pistol. And uh, there was an unidentified witness told the Ocala Star Banner. He yelled out, this is a robbery. Get your money out. And the police quickly responded. And after a chase, they took Danny Rowling into custody. Mm-hmm. And he said, boy, you guys are good. <laughs> that was quick. Yeah. Now, on... Um, November of 1991, Danny was charged with five counts of murder, and he was brought to trial nearly four years after all these murders, and he claimed his motive was to become a superstar similar to Ted Bundy, because remember, this was just right after Ted Bundy. Yeah, it was like a year after he was uh, Mm -hmm. executed. But uh, Danny Rowling unexpectedly pleaded guilty to all these charges, because he didn't want all these graphic photos and videos shown in court right and during his trial court tv conducted an interview with rowling's mother from her home during which his father could be heard shouting off camera now on august the 20th 1994 danny rowling was sentenced to death and he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder borderline personality disorder and paraphilia he was sentenced to the death penalty dale yes Sentenced to death. Yes, sentenced to death. But Danny Rowling was executed by lethal injection at Florida State Prison on October the 25th of 2006. Yes. 
after the Supreme Court rejected a last-ditch appeal, and he was pronounced dead at 6.13 p.m. He also, before he was executed, he had a last meal of lobster tail. And he sang a gospel hymn and made no statement before his execution, which was witnessed by many of his victims and their relatives. But Danny was labeled the Gainesville Ripper. Yes. Yeah, When they actually when they came in to... Uh Ask him for DNA. He actually dropped his pants, reached down and grabbed two handfuls of pubic hair and ripped them out and handed them to him. Yeah. And said, here you go. And I was like, damn, maybe that's why they call him the Ripper. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> yeah, this guy, I mean, he he is a lesser known serial killer, but brutal, man. Very brutal. Yeah. Yeah, and he escalated really quick. I mean, as far as to where he went, you know, I mean, he was a, you know, just a peeping Tom to a robbery guy to rape and then when he started killing he just went straight to the top as far as you know killing people and mutilating their bodies and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but also it does have a little famous twist to it yeah yeah he was actually the subject or the inspiration yeah inspiration to a movie very popular horror movie uh screenwriter kevin williamson created the night the 1996 slasher film scream Yes. It was based on Danny Rowling's murders. Yeah, he was uh, living in uh, L.A. at the time, and he was house-sitting for someone, and he had just watched a documentary on Danny, and then uh, he's walking around the house, and all of a sudden, he's like, he looked and said, hmm, damn, that window wasn't open, and he freaked himself out and went and got a knife and checked out everything, and he's going around the house, and he's just freaking himself out and called a buddy, and he goes, look, you just need to calm down, <laughs> and then they got to talking about horror movies that they love, and guy was you know going be careful jason's probably behind the door and they kind of had a good laugh about it but after that after he started calming down a little bit and got to thinking about the documentary he just watched and then that's where he broke screen mm-hmm. now there's a whole lot of it it's not really i don't know if you, if you kind of look base at the movie and what he did i don't think it's that that close but maybe just parts of it or something inspired him yeah he is a pretty bad dude yeah. But really, from the get-go, he didn't have a chance, man. No. I mean, from his dad and his life, he didn't have a chance. No. His dad's trash, man. Even in March of 1994, Danny's father actually beat his mother up and threw her out of the house, and she died shortly after that. Yeah. So, Claudia. So he never changed. Yeah. He's trash. Yeah. All right. That is the Gainesville Ripper. The Gainesville Ripper. Danny. Danny Rowling. Danny Rowling. Yep. We're going to get out of here, dude. Yeah, that's a rough one. Let's go. Yeah, we want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.